We laughed, we cried, they became part of us. It's a familiar expression you've heard many times before, but that phrase really seemed appropriate to describe the inspirational dynamics of our ASP Appalachia Service Project trip just a couple weeks back. Ray and I, our youth director, had a crew of four teenagers working with the Wampler family outside of Johnson City, Tennessee. And this amazing couple had adopted 11 foster children who had all had special needs of their own in either uh, in learning or in psychological uh, issues, things like that. So they all had special needs. And the mother was homeschooling all 11 kids. Their ages went from about uh, 13 to 20. So it's a solid group of teenagers, if you can imagine. It was a recipe I felt for fear and chaos, and uh, it would test the limit of anybody's hospitality to have our ASP uh, group come on top of their already full household. Many of the ASP families are challenged to welcome a bunch of strangers from Philadelphia when we come and to have at it repairing their homes. Think about it. Would you trust us to come and fix something in your house? Don't answer that. Plus, most of all, we wear these huge muddy work boots, at least at this site, and when bathroom call was needed, you've got caked mud this deep on the bottom of your shoe and you're supposed to go into the house and use the, the restroom. Of course, we took our boots off. But our kids had little construction experience, maybe a few years with ASP, sometimes sporadic attention spans, it was hot, and they'd entered also into a foreign culture, the South. Accents and appetites different than our own East Coast uh, preferences. The religious family, though, we helped, struggled academically and while our kids uh, are, are, were on the trip, they live here in a far more privileged socioeconomic level, and they attend award-winning high schools and soon colleges. The potential for division and otherness between all these teenagers could have been a disaster. Instead, the relationships were fantastic. That family, the Wamplers, welcomed us from day one. There was fresh lemonade sitting outside whenever we got thirsty. The girls kept the jars full. And the older boys from 16 to 20 pleaded with us, could they please work and do the hard labor alongside of us, digging ditches, shoveling gravel, carrying heavy equipment. And they worked alongside of us, indeed, the all five days. While we worked, conversations roamed from choices of music and uh, iTunes and how neighbors had shunned that family when they first came last year. They were living in Colorado on a farm and had to leave that farm to come back to their father's home area in Tennessee. And the neighbors would report them frequently for various things because uh, there were so many kids and so much chaos at times. I also learned about longboarding, which is a little, little like skateboarding, only a lot bigger. And the girls, when we had break, would color together. All the girls loved to just sit down and talk about their lives and color together. 
On Friday, the family cooked us a celebration finale feast of biscuits and gravy. And we left them in tears with long goodbyes, many times started and stopped, with Facebook addresses nowadays, we have that aspect uh, exchanged, and with a very tight group hug. All 14 of the family and all of our crew and adults in one big ball of crying love. It was indeed a sight to behold. We laughed, we cried, and they became part of us. Our reading for today in the New Testament and Old has similar themes of hospitality. Younger sisters, Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha host Jesus, but have different methods. Martha, as you know, is doing a good job of preparing the meal, but not listening very well to Jesus, while Mary does as he had hoped. Without any distractions, she is focused on her Lord. Now, it was an ancient Near Eastern custom and expectation that everyone would show good hospitality in that culture to strangers. Regardless of the stranger's race, ethnicity, country of origin, criminal record, occupation, faith, or stature in society, they were to be shown generous hospitality. So in Genesis 18 today, we see old 99-year-old Abraham leaning against a tree, faithful believer that he is, resting under the oaks of Mamre, which are historically famous for all kinds of religious events having happened in his life. And so three complete strangers in the heat of the day, which is very, very odd, walk up to his tent. And hospitable Abe jumps up, doesn't waste a minute, as they approach his tent flap and runs to get them a cool drink of water. And then he shouts to Sarah to get the bread baking. We've got company and get the calf killed to the servant. There's going to be a meal and guests are served in no time. But... Who are they? We don't seem to get that answer very easily. So some believe they were angels coming. But the beginning of the scripture says, and the Lord appeared to Abraham. So the Lord must have been among those three strangers. And they came to say that now that Sarah is 90-ish, she would finally bear a son. In the continued reading I asked Emily to do, which we seem to have cut off in today's lesson, uh, is the good stuff where Sarah giggles because she says, are you kidding me? You told me, Lord, that I would have a child years ago, and I laughed then. But then I had to give Hagar, my servant, to my husband so he could have a child, Ishmael. Now Ishmael is in, you know, maybe 12 years old or so, and I've been waiting all this time. There is no child. And now I'm certainly too old. Of course, you heard the fun exchange where she said she laughed and, and said, he said, I'll come back next year and you will have a child. And she laughed. But when she realized who she was speaking to, she said, oh, oh, I didn't laugh. And he said, ah, but you did. I love that part. Wouldn't you love God to do that to you? Ah, but you said that. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. You're not going to argue a second time. And so thinking the ship has sailed, Sarah is given one more new lease on life, an expectation. 
It should have been included, those verses, all along, because I love the last line uh, where God says to Sarah as she's giggling and weeping her eyes out at the chance of her child coming. He says, Sarah, is anything too extraordinary for the Lord? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord to accomplish? Well, then she was silent. My fellow believers, this has been yet another week in a cycle of incredible weekly violence, almost daily violence. We know it well. Two black men are killed in Minnesota, Baton Rouge. Police killings follow in Dallas, then the funerals all week. You can't imagine anything more horrible than Bastille Day. July 14th comes with over 80 people run down by a semi-truck, men, women, and children. But wait, the next day, Military coup attempt in Turkey, and many are killed in the streets. It's enough to make one think God has forsaken us. Where is our help and our salvation? It's enough to challenge any preacher to find hope shining, twinkling brightly beyond the bloody streets where there are littered, wounded, dying men, women, and children, and body parts. We long for understanding. We long for answers. And then comes the good news message from Genesis 18. God appears at the heat of the day to a 99-year-old woman who laughs at him about what he might do. An impossible hope of a child. Not at all. No, not at all, for God, who has conquered death and been in a cold tomb and risen again on Easter morning, he knows of what he speaks, and he is alive and well, and asks us today, is anything too extraordinary for the Lord, too wonderful for the Lord to bring about? I think not. I truly believe peace and love are possible. We must if we are Christian. I truly believe that hope for bridging the divisions between our brothers and sisters is getting to know about the other outside our comfort level. The one whom we don't understand, the one who differs from our political viewpoint and on a deeper human level in so many other choices in life. We are called to listen without judgment to the other's story. White, black, Muslim, Asian, co-workers, Catholic, gay, straight, transgender, millennial, police officers, you name it. And when we listen, let our encounters never require that the other be like us to be acceptable or to be honored as equals. For our faith says God made us all, and God loves all his children, every tribe and every race, no matter. One is not better than the other, or more enlightened, or more gifted. Pastor William Willimon has written a new book, just coming out in a wonderful time to read. I'm just beginning it. It's called Fear of the Other. Fear of the other. And he writes, one of the great gifts of the Christian faith is not only to be able to see another as dearly beloved in Christ, 
but also to see yourself as the other who is a dangerous threat to God and neighbor. Are we able to see ourselves at times as the other in this world, as a dangerous threat to our God, our Christian gospel message, our hope, and a threat to our neighbor, not vice versa only? It's said sometimes that a little child shall lead us, and this week I think there is hope in that Phrase because I ran across um, a 14-year-old boy's poem. Royce Mann is his name, M-A-N-N. He's 14 years old, and he lives in Atlanta. He's in a very nice, privileged high school. He's a white young man. And they had a study on racism and relations, and he learned a lot, and then they had a poetry contest. So he wrote what's called a slam poem, which I guess is not part of my culture so far, but it is kind of like a rap uh, and rhythmic poem with a lot of gusto in it. I won't pretend that I can do it, but you can go on YouTube and catch him right away. It's everywhere on YouTube. And so he has written it, and here is uh, his poignant lines, only a few, it's much longer. He said, it's embarrassing that we still live in a world in which we judge another person's character by the size of their paycheck, the color of their skin, or the type of chromosomes they have. Most of all, it's embarrassing that we deny this, that we claim to live in an equal country and an equal world. I know it wasn't us eighth-grade boys who created the system, but we profit from it every day. We don't notice these privileges, though, because they don't come in the form of things we gain but rather the lack of injustice that we endure. Because of my race, I can eat at a fancy restaurant without the waitstaff expecting that I will steal the silverware. Thanks to my parents' salary, I go to a school that brings my dreams closer instead of pushing them away. I get that, cha- change. I get that change can be scary, but equality shouldn't be. Hey, white boys... It's time to act like a woman, to be strong, and to make a difference. It's time to let go of that fear. It's time to take that ladder and turn it into a bridge. It's time to take the ladder of privilege and turn it into a bridge for all. Let's work on that, brothers and sisters. For is anything too wonderful for the Lord to bring about? I think not. Lord, show us the way in your name to build bridges with the other. Amen.